Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning into the show. Today, my guests will be able to share with us on various levels as juniors, collegiate and professional players, and now collegiate coaches. I'm speaking of Paul Goldstein in his second year as Stanford's uh, Toby Family Director of Men's Tennis and Brandon Coop, the James and Martha Poppy Associate Head Coach of Men's Tennis here at Stanford. You'll benefit from what they have to say regarding juniors, collegiate and professional tennis, uh, and parents and recruiting, to name just a few areas. Let me introduce both of these guys, uh, starting with uh, head coach Paul Goldstein. Like most players that play for and represented Stanford, Coach Goldstein had a stellar career from the juniors through college and into the professional ranks. As a junior, he was top 10 in the world, and he was the first player in USTA uh, history to win three consecutive national championships in the 14s, 16s, and 18s. As a collegian, from 1994 to 1998, he led the Cardinal to 104-6 to record. Pretty impressive. And he's the first player in NCAA history to start on four consecutive national championship teams. He's a four-time All-American, two-time Arthur Ashe Junior Sportsmanship Award winner, Rafael Zuna Sportsmanship Award winner, uh, Sportsmanship Award winner and an ITA Collegiate Tennis Hall of Fame inductee in 2013. Let me just stop right there. Uh, I was uh, When I was coaching um, at UC Irvine, we played them a couple times, and our team fell victim to the one year that they, I think, lost a total of three points the entire year. They were 25-0 and 0 or something like that. And uh, even though I think I had a team top five in the country in doubles, it didn't matter. Uh, these guys uh, just had an unbelievable year. In the pros... Uh, Paul was uh, had an ATP singles ranking of 58 as a high and 40 in the dubs. Made the U.S. Open dubs semifinals in 2005. He had a win over Djokovic. I think uh, Fed could have used some of that mojo this last weekend. Maybe we'll talk about that. But uh, James Blake, Leighton Hewitt, and Patrick Raffer. At the time, he was the highest-ranked player with a college degree. So needless to say, quite a resume. Assistant coach Brandon Coop. He played at San Jose State from 1994. I mean, 1990 to 1994. He held a school record in the most wins for singles and doubles. He was the number one singles player in his final three years there. All American, Arthur Ashe Sportsmanship Award winner, Rafael Zuna Senior Player of the Year, National von Nonstrom Most Improved Player Award in the semifinals of the uh, 1994 NCAA Indoors. He played in 14 Grand Slam events. 2002 U.S. Open quarterfinalist and played Federer, Roddick, um, Blake, Agassi, Hewitt, and Becker. And he had an ATP rank of 61 dubs and a team rank of 20. And let me just mention there that having had players myself with these awards, Van Nostrum and uh, Arthur Ashe, etc., it is hard work and to be All-Americans. So these are uh, pretty um, special accolades. And I can see why uh, Stanford has both of these uh, men uh, leading the, the team here. 
What I'd like to do is welcome both of you. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Coach Clark, thanks so much for having us. Appreciate those kind words and the introduction. Brandon and I are thrilled to be with you today. Thanks for everything you're doing to raise awareness and, and inspire uh, youth and coaches around the country in tennis. Appreciate everything you're doing. Well, Brandon, said, Paul, you coming in there? I am. Thank you so much. Well said, Paul. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for having us on the show, Steve, and, and thanks for, like, like Coach Goldstein said, we're raising awareness to uh, the tennis community. Uh, uh, for those listening, uh, Brandon is in uh, Florida doing some recruiting, and uh, Paul is running the ship here um, with the Nike camp, and um, they're also getting ready for the uh, Bank of the West tournament coming up in a few weeks. What I'd like to do is go through several questions, and again, these things will touch on various aspects, parents, parent coaching, um, recruiting, uh, what it takes to be a, a, a student-athlete, at an institution like this or at various institutions, maybe even the pro tours uh, segue from college to the pros, et cetera. So what I'd like to do is start off with the first question. And for some of them, I'll just inter I'll maybe uh, just ask Paul or Brandon or both. But let's start out uh, from the start. I'd like to ask uh, Coach Goldstein, um, from a collegiate perspective with such a you know remarkable tennis career at Stanford, what things would stick out that shaped you uh, that you really hold dear as an as an athlete here at Stanford? Well, I was very fortunate, Steve, uh, to have the opportunity to compete at Stanford and to play for legendary coach Dick Gould. You know, in Dick's 38 years, he won 17 national titles. I was fortunate enough to be on teams uh, with wonderful teammates uh, to win four consecutive titles in my four years here, which was incredibly special. Obviously, uh, you show up for the year in September every year, and you, as a team, you have a collective goal to be playing your best tennis come May. And to be able to accomplish that feat four years in a row was something I'll never forget. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough after college to have some great experiences on tour. You mentioned semis of the U.S. Open. You mentioned uh, lost to Sampras in a very close match, lost to Hewitt in a very close match, Sampras Stadium Court, U.S. Open, uh, Hewitt Stadium Court, Australian Open. Great experiences, even though were their losses. You mentioned the win over Djokovic, obviously very special. Let's not talk about the fact that he was still a teenager when I played him. <laughs> Um, but some great experiences on tour, but I, you know, without question, my fondest memories on a tennis court were the memories from college tennis, the passion that comes with it, the fact that you're, you're on a team. I mean, tennis being such an individual sport and we can have a whole nother show on why I think it's really a more of a team sport than an individual sport, but for the most part, it's considered an individual sport. But when you get into this college collegiate tennis atmosphere, it's more of, it's a team sport and, your teammates are guys that you bleed with, you sweat with, you you live with, you train with, you travel with, you eat with for nine months, and they're your best friends in the world. And then to be working for on on towards something, to be gearing towards something for nine straight months and be able to accomplish that goal at the end of the year, there's there's nothing, no better feeling than that. Um, and as great as those wins were on the court, it's actually not what I'm proudest about. What I'm proudest about is the way we conducted ourselves in practice every day, the things that happened when no one else was watching. There are a lot of people there to watch us, you know, win the NCAA title at Georgia, uh, but nobody was there to watch us beat up on each other in practice every day, push each other to get better in practice every day, yet support each other unconditionally when we're playing against other uh, other competition. Nobody's there my senior year when, as you mentioned, we went 28-0. and We lost three points the entire season. All year, myself, Mike and Bob Bryan, 
um, Ryan Walters, we rotated in the top four. And as we get to the end of the year, coach comes to me and says, Goldie, you're the captain of the team. We can't rotate once we get to NCAAs. we got to pick one lineup. We've been rotating all year. Why don't you go talk to the guys? I'll, I'll talk to Coach Whitlinger, uh, and, and we'll sort of compare notes. Go talk to Ryan Walters, who had just beaten Bob Bryan in an individual tournament. The first thing Ryan said was, Mike and Bob, they got to play next to each other. they got to play two and three. So an individual sacrifice for the better of the team. I go talk to Mike and Bob, and they say, Coach, or excuse me, Paul, you know, put us at two doubles. You guys go play and play one doubles. And I had to persuade the greatest doubles team in the history of the world to go play number one doubles in, in, the, in the college and the NCAA <laughs> championship. And so these examples of individuals who are sacrificing them, Alex Kim, you know, played number six for us all year, won the NCAAs at number one singles just two years later, never a word of complaint. So these individual sacrifices for the good of the team, the incredible chemistry we had, you know, those are the things I'm proudest about and that stick with me the most as, uh, you know, as, you, as you think about your teammates and who, who have become lifelong friends. Just these things right here, there's a reason I'm doing this show, because I can have my players, I can have juniors, people just listen to this stuff, because this is uh, what drives college coaches and the college uh, uh, endeavor. Uh, Coach Coop, anything to add to that from your experience? Maybe that's something that sticks out that really shaped you. Well, I just like that. I mean, I was hoping Coach Goldstein keep going, because some of this is stuff I I haven't heard before, and it's, you know, I thought... I go and talk to Coach Gould a lot, and it's just it's just great to uh, to hear that and just to have such a strong bond um, with the, with the players and and uh, and everything. And and to this day, I mean, you see Mike and Bob, you know, sending sending us notes and stuff, and everyone's so invested in the program, and I'm, I just feel so uh, grateful to be part of the, part of such a such a tradition. Um, regard to, to answer your question, I you know my college experience was um, leading up to it, I was. My story was I was loved tennis. I wasn't a, an incredibly – I was able to play Kalamazoo a few times. I think my highest ranking was around 30 in the country. Um, and so – but I just loved to play. I remember growing up uh, across the street from uh, some courts, and, uh, you know, we didn't have a – tennis wasn't huge in Roseville. But there was these, uh, these three surgeons that would get off of work around 2 o'clock every day at 2, 2.30, and rain or shine, uh, they were there at the courts. And – you know, I was about a twelve year I was twelve eleven, twelve years old and they they welcomed me uh to to play and it their pat I mean they like I said they played rain or shine no matter what. They loved the game. They you know, they were probably four oh players type thing and it was just it was such a great thing for me to have at, at that point in time because without them I look back at it and it's like there wasn't too many guys for me to play with and um and so anyhow, so I, I kept improving, loved sport, tried to become the you know, the best in the, in, in my area. And then, uh, was able, like I said, was able to play Kalamazoo and then, and then went to college. Uh, and I just got really, really lucky, uh, and played for a tremendous coach, uh, John Hubble, who, um, you know, I was really proud that he was inducted to the North Cal Hall of Fame last year. Um, and he really took me under, under his wing. And, uh, you know, we, we still have a tremendous relationship these days, but, you know, I was I was pretty raw. I, I like to think of myself as a decent athlete, but just really didn't understand uh, understand a little bit about the game. But but John had a good vision of what he thought I had. You know, the tools I had, and then try to develop those tools and and kind of give me a a game plan of where you know where I can become where I can be my best. And so I just um, I owe a lot, and I have a tremendous uh, you know the guys on team college tennis is 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 amazing. 
I don't think I had quite the, the relationship that, that Paul had with his group of players, but teammates. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly just – I look back at it, and it was just so much fun and, and uh, had felt just, like I said, an incredible relationship with uh, with my coach. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, to both you guys, and maybe lead off with Paul, is uh, I think you would agree with me that being a student athlete is very demanding and and uh, shaping at most institutions. Um, and at Stanford, clearly, he's by example in both areas. You know, it's a high academic institution, one of the best in the world, and then ac- athletically as well. Um, you have to be the consummate student athlete on and off the court. That's one reason, for example, uh, just even as a coach, um, you know, I, I went and got, uh, you know, several. Uh, other degrees, you know, master's degrees and PhD, but because I really do believe that, uh, you know, to be, um, to excel in both these areas is what we're about. And, um, you know, being at an institution like Stanford, can you guys share about your philosophy of coaching collegiately at this level, you know, division one level um, with a student athlete in mind? Because there's a lot of people that think, you know, student athletes at the D1 level, they don't care about academics. And I beg to differ in a very large way. So I'm curious what you guys at this place, at Stanford, uh, your coaching philosophy with that in mind. Well, certainly certainly not the case here where our guys are not caring about academics. They absolutely are. For me, throughout my amateur career, and that includes junior tennis all the way through collegiate tennis, it was all about balancing my you know three really important components in, in, in one's life, academics, tennis and social life. And I think all three are important. You mentioned academics and and tennis, Steve, but I think social life, particularly when you get to college and you're transitioning away from home for the first time and living living on your own, I think the social life is a really important component. And throughout your time, I think you have to understand that you're going to have to sacrifice to a certain extent all three of those things. It's going to be near impossible to excel to the maximum, the best of your ability in all three of those things. And it's about prioritizing at various times. There are going to be times when you have a a midterm the next day where you might have to skip practice the day before and and perhaps make it up after the midterm. And you can understand and and not beat yourself up if if you have to emphasize academics at that point. You might have a tournament coming up where you're trying to give your body a little bit more rest uh, to get ready to compete. And, you know, it's going to make it hard on you from an academic standpoint. There are going to be times where you're going to be going to tournaments and you're going to miss a big dance or a big formal. Uh, there are going to be times where you really want to prioritize a social event and uh, it might take away from your academics a little bit. And it's okay. It's, it's decisions you have to make. You have to prioritize and you got to do the best you can in all three while understanding that there's going to be some sacrifices in all three. And then I think the benefit there is that you know, you learn time management skills, which are really critical for the rest of your life. Um, but we, you know, Brandon and I both were in school, you know, 17 and 20 years, uh, respectively. Brandon, sorry to give away your age there. Um, yeah. No and so we understand we weren't there not so long ago, and we understand the incredible time demands on these guys. And we give them, all we ask is that they communicate, right? I mean, if I don't hear from them, I expect them to be at practice, given, you know, given their best and, and have it coming with good energy. If you let me know beforehand you need a break, or if you let me know I'm 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 dragging today, coach, and, you know, I'll be at practice, but I'm going to be dragging a little bit, we're going to, we'll take that into account. We're not going to beat up on you. That's totally understandable. If it happens three, four times a week, we need to talk, have a sit down, have a discussion about your time management. 
but for the most part, we're going to be very understanding uh, about the incredible time demands that you have, and we're going to try to uh, identify where our most important times are through the year from a tennis standpoint and see what we can do to plan in advance to make sure that we're you know, in doing our best to be in peak form for that time. Now, having said all that, the summer for me is the one time where you really get to prioritize your tennis. You're balancing your all these three things for the nine months during the during the year, and you get the summer off. And you know, I I think that's a, a really good opportunity to go out and really prioritize your tennis for a couple of months and play lots of matches. You know, have an opportunity to get better, get stronger. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's some of the ideas that we share, concepts we share with the guys. Anything yeah, I I yeah, I couldn't agree more with it. With the, I mean, I I I was lucky enough to. Uh, to help Brad Klon out when he was when he was on the um, when he was on the team and and that was the the main thing is that that time management that he learned at, at Stanford it really led into I think you know you you need to have that time management to be a good pro and and I think that that type of stuff is it's it's invaluable and you know just Todd I mean Brad to to deal with any situation just he, he it's just the way he operates is he's he's going to take his academic serious he's going to take uh you know obviously he takes his tennis serious and then uh and then the social component was incredible for for brad at stanford and i think it just it balances him out to uh then go on and uh and attack the uh the world of tennis and uh so just just kind of a story to to add to uh the point that that, that time management is, is key in your development okay Thanks. What, what would you guys say to up-and-coming juniors? I'm going to talk a little bit about a segue between college and pros in a bit, but what would you say just to up-and-coming juniors wanting to play college, maybe in the back of the mind they want to play pro, just any maybe a one tidbit of wisdom for these guys? Take it away, Brandon. I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, each situation is, is unique and not to, to – you got to do what's best for you, and it's so easy to – See with the the person you know in your one city over, or see with someone uh, one of your peers, you know they may operate a different way, and and to not to not kind of fall into that trap where you have to do what that next person is doing. I think you got to figure out what what works best for you, and and what you want out of uh, you know your academics, your your tennis, and all that, and and go about it and find you know it's it's helpful to have good guidance from your parents and coaches and stuff. But I, I think um, just not fall into that trap where we're going to do exactly what this you know, this guy is doing my, you know, one, one city over, one state over the top top 10 player in the country or whatever. I think you got to find what's best right. for you. Yeah, sometimes the competition not only goes from the court but bleeds over into, hey, you got this, I got that. I want, you know, do what, you, what you're saying is be, be who you are, do what you need, and not don't worry about the other guy. Exactly. So uh, let me ask you a question. This is an important topic these days. Um, I've had discussions with uh, Wayne Bryan on these and uh, – Coach Gould, um, is tennis in the collegiate ranks as a viable training ground ground for the pros? Because we have, both of you were examples, and many of my former players were examples of guys that transitioned from college to the pros, and it was absolutely the best thing for them. So I just wanted your guys' uh, feedback on that. I wouldn't be here in my position if I didn't believe that college collegiate tennis was a viable path toward being making an impact at the professional level. Uh, I did it myself. Uh, I think there's a lot of good examples out there today. Brad Klein doing a, doing a heck of a job. Uh, John Isner, four years at University of Georgia, our number one American right now. One of the reasons Johnson. I think Stevie Johnson doing a heck of a job, four straight titles at SC, two individual NCAA titles, and now 40 in the world, 30 in the world. So there are a lot of great examples out there. I think the reason uh, 
college tennis, tennis even today lends itself to being successful at the next level as the game has gotten, you know, since I was on tour, more physical than any time in history. And I think individuals are having their most success later in their careers now than they used to. 26, 27, 28, we're seeing some of our guys having their best tennis because they're at their physical physical peak. I think the days of a guy like Michael Chang with that game style winning the French Open at 17 years old is, is not going to happen again. you got to be at such a more physical game. Stan Wawrinka is another great example. Didn't have, I mean, was successful, but didn't have the kind of success he's having now until he got to be 25, 26 years old. And so, you know, from my perspective, if you're considering making – Considering whether or not to go pro out of high school or go to college, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, a guy like Andy Roddick, who at 18 has got a win over Sampras, I mean, I think he makes the right decision by going straight to the tour. But for me, I think you got a window, a shelf life of how long you can be successful on tour just because it's such a grind and it's so competitive. And I don't think you want to start that clock, start that clock of how of, of that 10-year window, whatever it might be, until you're ready to be successful on tour, until you're ready to win matches. So if you're going out there and, you know, struggling to win, put two matches in a row together at 18 years old, I, I think it's beneficial for you to go to school and uh, grow a little bit physically and uh, and mature a little bit emotionally to help you for get re- prepare yourself for the rigors of the tour. Because if you start on tour as a professional and you're losing three matches for every one you win, I think you're in danger of having your career get stalled before it ever has a chance to get started because it can be such a grind mentally. And I think you want to be feel like you're in a position to be successful winning two or three at least matches for every one you lose wherever that is you know semifinals of futures quarters of challengers before you're thinking about you know going straight to the tour uh, that's just that's just my opinion Any, anything to add there Brandon yeah yeah I couldn't agree I mean I think a decision of um more the decision when I of going pro like when I've when Andy Roddick was starting I think it just you know it made sense for uh you know, watching him at challengers and, and it just made sense for him to, to, to go pro, but that's not, you know, Jack Sock probably the same, but, but there's it, college just allows so much room for, uh, for growth. And, uh, you know, physically your bodies may not be ready to go at 18. And I, and I think college is that, that perfect sweet spot where, uh, you, you know, your body's getting stronger. Um, you're getting a lot of matches. You're having to deal with a ton of pressure, you know, playing for your team, sometimes coming down and these, the pressure that these kids have at a, on, a, on a match that goes down to, you know, three all and, and it's, you know, they're playing a breaker to decide the whole thing. It's just, it's incredible. And, and what they're going to learn from that situation is, is something that's, that's going to allow them if they end up having a pro career, you know, this is going to give them an invaluable experience and, and be able to handle tough situations. So I, I think um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, college, I, I think uh, with the game being so much more physical uh, it just gives you that uh, that four years or three years, you know, maybe it's two years, maybe it's four years, but it just it gives you that that time frame to build up your body. And uh, at the same time, it's just not it's not quite as intense as, as the pros. It's not you're not traveling so many weeks, but you're, you're at the same time you're getting a ton of competition, ton of ton of matches. And I think it's just, like I said, it's just right in that sweet spot. What's your guys' uh, current focus now as you move, uh, Coach uh, Paul, and yourself? Second year at the farm. Um, what's your what's your focus uh, for this uh, upcoming year? And I know you shared some things with the campers, and I see the the pictures around the the campus, the motivational pictures, and some. Well, there's a handful of messages that we emphasized during the course of our first year that I think we'll continue to emphasize moving forward. It's not just a one-time thing; it's 
you know, I think it's part of our philosophy, and that's, you know, one thing is process over outcome, I think is what you're referring to, and this idea of focusing on the things that which you can control, you can be able to control your attitude, you can control your effort, uh, but you can't always control the wins and losses, you can't always control uh, the rank, the rankings, you know, just let those things, those are byproducts of your performance, of of your attitude and your effort, and you focus on playing the way you want to play and let the chips fall where they may, let the results take care of themselves, let the wins, the losses, the rankings, let all those things take care of themselves. I think one of the things that I found during this year is we all practice a certain way, but when we get into a really ultra-pressure situation, and there's no greater pressure than playing college tennis because you're playing not only for yourself, but your teammates, your coaches, your university, and seeing how guys react in that situation when the pressure is highest, are they still able to execute the same way that they're executing in practice without the pressure? I mean, to me, that's the ultimate challenge. With the technology today, everybody can hit the ball big, but how can you perform under pressure? And the thing that separates the Federers of the world from, from everybody else, I mean, obviously Federer is supremely talented, but there are a lot of guys who can hit the ball really well. But being able to perform at the the way you're able to do so when the pressure is the greatest, when it's four all, 30 all, you know, really separates the wins from the losses. And frankly, the more you win, the more comfortable you get in those situations. And, you know, finding a way to, to have to have your mind achieve a state of calm when the pressure is the highest is, is something that we're you know is the, is the secret we're trying to unlock. Which it's really difficult for everybody. It was for me when I was a player, uh, but that's one of our key focuses this this upcoming year. For both you guys, what because uh, you are different uh, you know coaches. You know I'm sure you complement each other in other many ways, and you're similar in some ways. Um, you're on court coaching. Um, you know, and again, this show reaches out to parents, recruits, players, and other coaches. So maybe share a little bit of your uh, on-court or your coaching philosophy in general. Maybe your on-coaching, uh, on-court coaching. Um, maybe just those two things: your coaching philosophy in general, and uh, how you handle things maybe on court uh, during a match. Well, I have a quick story, which probably explains my on-court coaching behavior more than anything else. <laughs> uh, we were playing the finals of the Pac-12 Conference Championship, and one of our guys, I'm watching the match, and one of our guys, after a point, is deep in the third set. He goes, Coach, don't take this the wrong way, but, but could you sit still during the point? <laughs> and so I think I'm a little bit too fidgety. i got to find a way to, Been there. <laughs> to control myself yeah. a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it's that's why we're doing it. It's exciting when we're out there playing, especially really competitive matches. Um, I was a fidgeter myself when I was on the team and a player. You know, you got six courts down the line, and I'm playing at number three singles, and I could tell what happened at five, four, thirty, fifteen on court number five. And so, as a you know, as a coach, it's the last thing I want. I, I mean, do what coach says, not what he did, because I want you taking care of your business on your court. Best way you can help the team is take care of your, yourself. But I suppose it lends itself pretty well to uh, to coaching, but. Uh, I need to find a way to relax a little bit, I think, when I'm out there and not fidget quite as much. But obviously, I mean, it's different for every player. we got some guys who, yeah. you know, it's harder for them to relax. At one point, I I printed out uh, quotes from, you know, a comedy, one of his favorite comedies, and on the changeovers, all I did was read quotes from the comedy. Just wanted to get him to relax. I just wanted to see the smile on his face. Uh, so, and I wouldn't do that with everybody, but for one player in particular, that's what we did this year. Brandon. Yeah, like like uh, like Coach said, it's 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 so different for each player. I mean, there, there's been periods of times where uh, you know I've 
coach players on court and they, they want me to tell them, uh, you know, what serve to hit over and over again. And then there's certain guys, uh, I remember this one time we were, um, one of our players was, he was the last match on against SC and, and, you know, I'm talking to him about changeovers. I think you should do this, this, and I'm just, you know, spitting out stuff. And, and he just looks at, he looked at me just a really calm face. He's like, coach, I got it. And, and so I just sat back and put my arms up and, and, just try to, uh, obviously, I think he was telling me to relax a little bit and, because uh, I was probably making him a little bit too fidgety. And so, you know, it, it was great. It was just, but I think that comes from, uh, you know, just your, your time on the court um, with your, with the players that, you know, it's just, I just like to be on the court. I love the game. I just want to show my, our players how much I love the sport and, 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 and I know to show that passion of being out there. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it was so cool, cool to see, you know, coach Goldstein coming back to his alma mater for 19 years and, and, uh, and just seeing how, I mean, it was just how excited he was to be back out there. It was just, it was really cool. I mean, uh, really cool to see. And, and I think, um, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we do what we do. Just is that passion for the game, passion to just make, uh, these young, you know, these juniors and the young men and, and, uh, and just share share our experiences with them. Well, how do you, uh, um, as the uh, leader of the program here, how do you define success, um, and uh, how would you measure it? Well, I thought we were successful in many ways this year because we had incredible team chemistry. There's a culture in our team that I, that I valued, that I'd like to see. I mean, you know, Coach Gould had a chance to play for 17 national titles in 38 years. You know, for me, he defines sort of the proper spirit of competition better than anyone. And what I mean by that is he was competitive as heck, as competitive as anyone. I mean, one of the things I found is, you know, he wanted, when he was at 14, he wanted his 50th more than, it felt like he wanted it more than many people wanted their first. So he was hungry, he was competitive, he wanted to win. But he did it in a, in a manner of integrity. He didn't sacrifice integrity. He was classy. He demanded that of his team. Compete in such a way where you command or engender the respect of those you compete against and those you compete with. And I think he did that. And that's something that, you know, one of the things I said to the guys at the beginning of the year, I'm not going to try to fill Coach Gould's shoes because that's a fool's errand. And I don't expect any of you to play with the burden of, you know, 17 national titles of the players who came before us, you name it, John McEnroe, Alex O'Brien, yeah, I mean, the list goes on. But there is one thing that we're going to try to maintain about Stanford Tennis, and that's compete in the right way. We're going to fight our tails off. We're going to adapt when we have to. We're never going to give an inch. But we're going to do it with class and integrity, and we're going to do it in such a way that we go break bread with our opponents after the match the way it should be done. So that's that's how I define success. Um I mean, we have performance, excuse me, developmental goals for, for all of our guys. You know, I'd like us to be a team that plays plays men's tennis. I know we're we're still amateurs, and but plays the game. We're trying to get guys ready to play at the next level. Whether they do that or not is irrelevant. From a tennis standpoint, we want them to be playing men's tennis, be ready to play at that next level. And so that's how you know we're trying to define success. Obviously, there's some performance goals. We want us to get back to a place where we're you know, in the mix and competing at the with the elite teams in the country. Uh but that's that's gonna be a byproduct of, of the work that we put in. Um Brandon, I got a question on the next one here. You, you being the uh older of the two, 
You got gray hair like yeah. I do on the temples yeah. there. Um, and uh, for those listening, uh, yeah, those listening, I had uh, you know uh, Brandon uh, competed against a couple of my players during uh, during my stint at Irvine. He's a heck of an athlete. Uh, fought to the fought to the last second. And um, so, a question I got for you: How has uh, collegiate tennis changed uh, in your mind since you played? And then I'll ask Coach uh, uh, Goldstein the same thing. Are you uh, apart from? Well, the hall, if it hasn't, if it hasn't, great. Or if it's some things are the same, fine. But uh, it, maybe it's, uh, from your perspective, what's changed? Apart from longer shorts. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it. I think that the the style of play has changed. I mean, that's probably the, the thing that that it's on the most. It's it's more of a homogenous style of play. Um, I played a certain ball game. You don't see too many guys doing that these days. Um, you know the courts were were a little bit quicker, um, and so that that helped guys come forward a little bit more. But um, I, I think that, but you, I mean, you say that the biggest change I've seen in college tennis, but you could also just that's the biggest change in in tennis in general. Uh, but um, I think also I, I it's competitive out there. I think there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'm at, I'm at a recruiting. I'm at a tournament right now, and there's uh, you know there's. 30 coaches here. And I think that it's just a very competitive uh, environment uh, in terms of recruiting. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of schools have three, uh, you know, two coaches, you're, you're allowed by NCAA rules. And then you have, they have a volunteer coach that just is able to be there, uh, you know, every day. And, and it's just, it's become uh, very competitive in the, in the last, uh, you know, since I've been, since I've been playing. What do you think? Yeah. I think it's a it's a more one-dimensional style of play, and uh, what that means is that you know I find in college tennis it's a lot deeper than when I played. You don't care what program they're. I mean, there are mid majors now that are stronger than when I played, and there are guys who play regardless of the school number six who can compete with a guy at number one. So there's more depth, more parity uh, than than I recall. But at the same time, it feels like because it's more one-dimensional. There's less distinctive types of talent out there. Uh, guys are playing the same way. A lot of that is technology. A lot of that is training. Um, you know, because of the technology, again, you don't have guys coming forward as much. Uh, you have guys sitting back, hitting big serves, big forehands, creating a lot of rotation on the ball, a lot of RPMs on the on the ball. I think you see that at the pro level as well, and college tennis is a reflection of that. If maybe you guys could speak to um, maybe if you guys could paint a picture, a day-to-day picture of life on tour, and this could be a whole, an entire program. But I, mean, I just want to give you know, in case there's a young a young man or a girl out there, but you know, in your case, uh, we're you know, uh, guys looking to go to college and then maybe beyond. But that transition from college, uh, you know, to the tour. Um, that have that desire, that aptitude, what would be some practical day-to-day things that they may need to consider or encounter? What, you know, I think it would be great to do a show one time, but what's the day in the life of a, of a former player on the tour or even a guy on the tour? But maybe that transition part from college, you know, what's the first step, what do you got to do, that sort of thing? I think, uh, I think in the first – go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Go ahead. The first thing I was going to say is there was – Many times where I'd wake up and it'd take me a, a good 30 seconds to remember what city I was in. Uh, and so that's just that's just an idea of the amount of travel that you go through and, and what a 
challenge that is, both mentally and physically, to stay fresh. You know, I had one series of, or on consecutive weeks, I competed in Melbourne, Australia, followed by uh, the Big Island, Hawaii, followed by Harare, Zimbabwe, followed by San Jose, California, four consecutive weeks. Um, and so that's just an idea of the amount of travel you do. And it's, and it's you know, Brandon just mentioned it, it's just hyper-competitive, which is why I think it's so important to have your game at the point where you're able to win matches pretty consistently uh, before you go out there because it is so difficult mentally uh, to stay fresh. And, you know, winning is a very important part of that, to staying fresh and feeling like you're getting enough wins uh, compared to losses. Obviously, you need to go out there and challenge yourself and take losses and learn from them. Uh, but when you're on tour, you're doing it for a living. You want to try to, you know, find ways to win matches as well, and 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 that's about scheduling. Uh, you, if you're on, if you're going away for three weeks, you got three straight weeks, perhaps overseas, and you happen to lose first round the first week, you got to find a way to make the next three four days productive to get ready for the next week. One of the hardest things to do is to be at a tournament after you have lost and 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 feel like you're have a, a productive couple of training days. That's really hard because you're at the tournament. You want to win the whole thing. And it's it's very hard mentally to wake up the next day being in the tournament. Other guys are around you competing, and all you're doing is practicing. But you got to find a way to be productive for those three days because you're off to a new new event the next week, uh, and you got another chance to play. I mean, it's a great thing about tennis. There's always next week. My, my, you know, my gosh, there's you know, guys sometimes play 30 weeks a year. Lots of opportunities to play. There's a great quote from an Irish playwright, Samuel Beckett, never, and, you know, well, Rinka's got it tattooed on his on his arm. Ever failed, ever tried, never tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Uh, everybody's going to fail. Failure is the norm, particularly in tennis, particularly in tennis. How do you respond from that failure is, is what sort of determines who's going to be successful. Brandon, what was your uh, experience or what maybe you add to that? Well, I'd just like uh, one piece of advice would be from uh, going from college to professional is, is you know, you hopefully have some relationships you've built up and, and having a, you know, potentially a mentor out there that has been on the pro tour for a little bit and, and just kind of taking you on your wing a little bit or just watching how he operates. And, and that's where I think there's there's so much value out of when you're coming out of uh, Stanford, like, like Paul had a, um, you know, going out on the tour, he had, so, he had several sounding boards that guys that were already out there, like Jared Palmer, Alex O'Brien and stuff. And, and and helping them kind of through, uh, you know, those first couple of years uh, on the tour. But um, it is, it's a grind. Like I had similar uh, stories with, you know, fly into Vienna, get there at, at like 10 at night, take an overnight train to Budapest. And, uh, you know, and then times where it's like, you know, maybe you get like, I was playing qualifying singles. Sometimes I get in, sometimes I don't, or, or, you know, stuff like that. You just have to have to deal with, um, and uh, some of the, it, it just, and they're just making, you know, each moment just as productive as possible. Like, like Paul said about like, you know, you lose the tournament early and, and being for, you know, taking, using your time the best way you possibly can to be productive to and having that overall big picture of I'm trying to become the best I can be. Um, I'm not kidding. Getting, you know, there's so many times where you use, like I remember in the juniors or in college, it's like I lose a tournament. It's like I just want to get back out of there as soon as possible. And, you know, being able to take a step back, say, hey, maybe I, you know, watch a few matches, get a good training session in, and just try to get a little bit better every day. 
Now, one thing I wanted to clarify, I mean, yes, it's a challenge. Yes, it can be a grind, but at the same time, it was some of the most valuable life experiences I've ever had, and I'm very grateful to tennis, to the sport, uh, for giving me those opportunities. I completed on six continents. I wouldn't have stepped foot on five continents if not for tennis. You're, you're, you're pursuing an endeavor in which you're playing against the elite players in the world, and you know, there's something very unique about tennis is they'll literally put a number next to your name to let you know how you're doing relative to your peers. It's like the ultimate meritocracy. But there's tremendous value in that. I, I loved it. I miss it. It's hyper-competitive, but what a wonderful experience. Yes, it's hard, but at the same time, there's such value from that from a life experience standpoint. I don't regret it for a second. Yeah, and the, and the, the, the relationship you build out there, like with, uh, you know, Paul and I were able to play the French Open together, and just so many, so many great relationships that you build that you can not see a guy, you know, a guy that you played with on a tour for a while, and not see him for two, three years, and you see him at a tournament, you see him somewhere, and you just pick off, uh, you know, you pick up where you left off, and it's just, uh, it's those those type of relationships certainly are what uh, I miss now. Well, I think that's one thing about college tennis. You guys alluded to this earlier, but it's, uh, you know, this is what I encourage guys. Look, you're a team player now. It's a heck of a lot easier when you're out there to be a team player still, and plus you have friends out there. Um, so that's a great point. Um, just want to take a short break here. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to the UR Tennis Network and the Coach Steve Clark PhD show and guest with me are Paul Goldstein, the Toby Family Director of Men's Tennis at Stanford, and Brandon Coop, the James and Martha Poppy Associate Head Coach here at Stanford. It's a beautiful day out here. Got Nike Camp going on. And um, one of the things also I want to do is just to do a brief uh, shout-out um, acknowledgement to Events on Fire. They offer complete event planning services for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Go to eventsonfire.com. And Wilson Racket Sports. I personally have been using uh, their gear for uh, about 25, 30 years, and they've been the number one uh, uh, tennis uh, racket and uh, uh, sport uh, equipment uh, for about 35, 40 years, longer than anybody. And the Eagle Athletic Fund, that's EAF for Eastern Washington University, the team behind the teams. We just talked about being a good teammate. And uh, one of the things I'd like to ask uh, you guys to uh, maybe uh, chime in on is championship characteristics. What are some of the characteristics of all your great players that you've teamed up with or competed with in college or on the tour? So what are some of the characteristics um, that you could relay uh, to players listening, uh, up and coming, and even other coaches or parents? What are the characteristics of great players? Well, yeah, I, I was just the the first thing is just just the inner belief they have uh, in themselves, um, and I think the really great ones also are, are are humble at the same time, and and that's that's probably the thing that stands out, the characteristic that stands out the most, the most to me. Yeah, well said. Uh, I find the guys that you know, I think. I think our top guys right now with Roger and Novak and and Rafa, you know, doing it and not only playing at an elite level on the court, but the way they conduct themselves off the court, uh, the class that they demonstrate, the 
you know, the words that Novak has to say about Roger after defeating him at Wimbledon on the court, talking about all that Roger's done for the sport. And these are well-rounded, well-read individuals, and I think that, you know, I think you'd be a fool to think that, you know, that level of sort of thoughtfulness and intelligence doesn't help them be perform better on the tennis court. If I can chime in, I think uh, I think this is one of the things that's actually lacking. Maybe you guys can uh, can chime in on this as well. Is that I, what I see in junior tennis and even in college is is there, you want to be confident yet humble, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like you talk about inner belief, but it's how players treat each other that it's a lack of humility in the sense that I know if I can compete hard as anything against you and you with me, that's the true nature of competition. It means to, with the other person, bring them to a higher level. And, uh, you know, and that's why those guys, as uh, Coach Paul just said, that uh, they can be battling. And any kind of emotion or frustration is never at the other guy. It's always just within themselves in the situation. And uh, but there's a complete respect for the other person, and respect comes out of uh, humility. You know, you know, you're not. It's not all about you, and you fight hard. And I think just in general, uh, a lot of times in tennis now, in the juniors and even in college, the way they address each other and the things they say on the court. I'm a big proponent of really kind of ramping up the sportsmanship because I think um, those two components you just said, uh, actually, as a matter of research, they've talked about some of the greatest leaders in business industry have a passion and a desire, but they're humble. Any other thoughts? Okay, so guys, I'd like to maybe talk about uh, parents and players. Um, what advice would you give to parents or uh, parent coaches even um, at any level, but particularly if they want to get into Stanford? I mean, my parents were incredibly supportive, unconditionally supportive of me. They were not people who had an experience in tennis, so they just supported me because it was my passion. Um, my dad had four rules for me every time I went on the court, which he repeated up and all the way through my professional career. Number one, have fun. Number two, don't beat yourself. Make your opponent beat you. Number three, think. And number four, be a gentleman. As long as I had, you know, followed those rules, we were we were all good. Uh, the other thing my, my father did and my, and my parents both that I, I now look back on and appreciate is they never, I mean, tennis can at times be uh, a sport in which the support team of the of the player has to sacrifice a lot. Financial resources, time, I mean, how many weekends my parents spent take, driving me to tournaments around the country, sacrificed their own time for me. I appreciate that. I appreciate that from a financial standpoint. They never equated the amount of money they spent on, uh, with my results. In other words, they never said, oh, we spent X amount of dollars and you're not getting the wins, we're going to have to rethink this. They just It was never an issue for me. It was no, nothing I ever had to consider. and I, That's something I, I look back on now and I, I really appreciate. Uh, obviously, from a standpoint of playing competitive D1 tennis at a, at a strong academic institution, and there are several out there, Stanford certainly being one of them, but there are many out there, uh, You know, looking for excellence both on the court and in the classroom. Uh, and that can be that's really challenging. That's really challenging. Uh, as competitive as junior tennis is, it's also to be able to keep up with your academics and tra- challenge yourself in the classroom the same way you are in the tennis court um, is difficult. But that's what a lot of these, you know, stronger Division One institutions are, are looking for. Anything to add to that, Brandon? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think similar 
just appreciation for what my parents, uh, uh, you know, sacrificed for, uh, you know, when they saw how much I, you know, this was the sport I, I, I really, you know, loved. And, and fortunately my, my, my grandfather's, my grandma, grandmother and grandfather, you know, they, they play tennis until their eighties, played tournaments up until their eighties. And, and my dad loved to play tennis. He played, uh, his freshman year at San Jose State, um, and our whole, whole family lo- loved the sport, but I never, uh, I never got a sense of the, 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 I guess the only way I could see my dad potentially pushing it on me was the, the one time where I loved baseball too, and he said, uh, you know, just this tennis thing is, is cool because it's a lifetime sport. You know, baseball is, is also cool, but you have the, you get these team uh, teammates, you have this team experience, but. You know, tennis is something that, you know, after college or, or, you know, you can find just one person to go play with. And so that was the extent of him pushing uh, pushing tennis on me, which isn't which isn't much. And, and he just – I mean, I was – I did not have a ton of success early on. In fact, my brother um, – at the holidays a couple of years back, my brother had uh, found some footage of me playing at, like, our club championship in – I think I was in the 12s. And he brought it out and showed the whole family and just said, how did you ever get any decent at tennis? Um, just my, my demeanor on the court and just overall skill level. And so it just, uh, so my, they were just so supportive and they saw how much I just wanted to get back out there every day and, and, and stuff. And I just, you know, I owe so much uh, to them just in terms of the support. And, and they never really, like, similar to Paul, they never really equated it to the, the, you know my results and, and the money they spend or anything like that. They just just unconditional support. That's a good word. Um, I'd like to. We're going to be uh, closing down actually in about uh, ten minutes. But uh, we have um, when the music hits at the end of the session. There's also a few minutes past. So for those of you who podcast this, there's a little extra time. Um, that we'll be able to uh, finish up. So um, when the music uh, comes on, that we'll uh, we'll still have a few more minutes. But I wanted to just talk to uh, Paul on this one um, regarding Stanford and their related questions. Um, and Coach, why did you choose to play at Stanford or come here? And then of those reasons, which do you still find true at Stanford? Well, at the time, 17-year-old, making that decision, Stanford had a very rich tradition in tennis. Obviously, there was a strong academic reputation as well. At the time, I felt like the combination of those two was was very strong here. Uh, I had an opportunity to come for a visit, and you get on campus, and the place kind of sells itself. It's it's a beautiful campus, uh, a really high quality of life out here, and so you know that's why I made the decision at the time. I think what resonates most with me now was my experience, my Stanford experience, and that not only includes my time on the farm, on campus while I was in school, but but in the 17 years afterwards, it's this family, the Stanford tennis family and just the Stanford family in general. Uh, you know, one of the things that I benefited from the most is that after my competitive tennis career was done, was done which happened to be in 2007 after a 10-year professional tennis career, I had a lot of opportunities outside of tennis, and I pursued that for seven years, worked in a different industry, uh, always was passionate about tennis, always stayed involved, but my primary vocation was outside of tennis. And I was able to leverage individuals from this Stanford family to help me 
get in the door with this other opportunity. Obviously, you have to prove yourself once you're there. Uh, but I had a, a really wonderful job for seven years and, frankly, wasn't looking for work. I uh, was very happy there when this opportunity came about, and this was just such a special and unique opportunity, uh, a really wonderful one for me and my family. That I was thrilled to get back into tennis full-time. But you know, that Stanford experience, finishing your, getting your degree, let, being able to leverage all the wonderful people in this network, you know, to have those kinds of options is something that I really valued. And, and I think that, you know, anybody can have that opportunity, whether there's a, a Stanford tennis family that wants to pursue the program, be successful at the same time, uh, and will be there to support you after your tennis career is done, be that after you graduate or after a 10-year professional career. Coaches, uh this question um, is a hot topic. I've spent a lot of time on emails uh, with hundreds and hundreds of coaches across the country. Just curious to get your feedback on this. And uh, one of them is uh, the role of doubles. Now, both you guys made a, made somewhat of a living playing doubles after college, and you did well in college in doubles. Um you know, I it's, it's dear to my heart. I, you know, I was fortunate to be an All-American in doubles, but uh, for you guys, I mean, it you know, even took it to a higher level there. And uh, what about the role in doubles and player development in college, even in the juniors? And, you know, what would you like to see, uh, you know, doubles in college tennis? Or where do you think that's going? We've shortened the format, changed it, et cetera. But mainly for a developmental standpoint, any thoughts on these things? Well, I think uh like we said earlier in the show that uh tennis has become a very homogenous style and um I mean doubles is is gives you that chance to come you know you you're half gives you a chance to work on that skill set and so uh from that standpoint I think doubles has a has a real benefit for you know guys learning to come forward uh, in the court and, and playing a little bit more attacking tennis and um you know even the the best defensive players in the world they're going to be have you know opportunity especially in college, to have a chance to come forward to that. And just the, the doubles gives you that practice to um, to hone in that skill. I mean, obviously, doubles lends itself to being able to help from a development standpoint because you're coming in more, you're moving forward more, you're finishing points at the net more. Obviously, from a developmental standpoint, we would love it. As a coach... I'd l- I want to want my guys playing doubles because I think it's going to help their singles game as well. Um, the reasons for shortening doubles in, in college tennis have nothing to do with development. I don't think there's any debate anywhere that we'd love to play as much doubles as we can. There's a lot of other factors that go into that decision, not taking side on one way or the other, but just so everyone understands the context. NCAA is changing, not just tennis. The NCAA is changing. There's a lot going on out there. And, you know, it's important for tennis to stay viable, to try to do things, to uh, to make the sport continue to be viable, to appeal to uh, an environment in which match times you'd like to see condensed for a variety of different reasons. Nobody likes the fact that we're... In and of itself, we're playing less doubles. I think it's, you know, at some level, it's it's a shame. But at the same time, those decisions aren't made because of a developmental standpoint. It's it's, it's a lot of other factors involved. Uh, I love doubles. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's helpful from a development standpoint. Uh, and I'd love to find us to be able to find a way to, you know, keep it really live and, and fresh. And, you know, but 
doubles isn't played a lot growing up anymore. The skill set of coming forward is not as prevalent today, and I think at the professional level, you see that in that many of our most successful doubles players, not just the Bryans, but players, are in their mid to late 30s. Guys who grew up playing the game coming forward. People, That's not the way the game's taught anymore. Leander Pays, I think he's 40. He just won... Did he win? Yeah. He didn't win the men's, but he won mixed and he made semis of the men. Daniel Nestor still having success over 40. Mike and Bob are... Sorry, Mike and Bob. 36, maybe. Uh, we yeah. don't see guys coming up and are comfortable playing the, the way doubles used to be played. Uh, and so that's... It is what it is. We got a couple minutes here before, uh, and I'm gonna. Uh, uh, we'll have some uh, music tailing in at the end here. But real quick, guys, if you if you can do this quick, um, is uh, who, who has impacted you guys as a coach? Like maybe give one or maybe one, Paul. If I could maybe start with you, and then uh, if we have time after the music, uh, um, get with uh, Coach Brandon. Um, a, 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 a coach that's impacted you and you know, even coached Gould, but maybe in the juniors, what what special things uh, impacted you? Well, Coach Gould is, is is clearly the answer here. It's an easy <laughs> answer, but it's, it's it's very true. I played for him for four years. He, he taught me how to be a leader. Uh, in many ways, I try to incorporate many of the things that I, that I took from Coach while playing for him and, and what I'm doing now. Yeah, Brandon, I think, uh, uh, my, it was yeah same same situation for me. John John Hubble would be the the uh, clear person there, and and he just he he did so much for me, and just uh, the care that he the, you know the just the overall thoughtfulness, care that and and time and, and passion that he you know that he put during those just impressionable years of you know coming in as an eighteen year old and and then uh, and then you know graduate or four years later. Um, you know, that, that whole time while I was in college. But then after that, I was, you know, I lived in Northern California, so I was able to come out and, uh, and hit with him a lot. And, and, uh, he still, you know, every time we'd hit, he, he would, uh, you know, I'd have to force, force giving him, uh, some money because he just was, uh, he's like, no, just put on my tab, just put on my tab. Well, my tab to him is probably a million bucks by now. So he, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a clear, uh, clear person there. And, and, um, and I owe so much to him. And, and so, thanks. Well, we'll we'll forego the uh, the ending uh, music of the broadcast, but I would like to say tune in uh, next week for discussion with uh, coaches from the women's Stanford program, Lily Farood and Frankie Brennan. Um, we'll continue on in our next uh, part of this broadcast with just a couple uh, fall, uh, ending comments from the coaches here. And I appreciate you guys joining us, um, and we'll talk to you next time. So, Coach, uh, if you have a couple minutes here, um, any final comments, Brandon and uh, Paul, that you would like to maybe uh, uh, bring to the discussion or if there's maybe another coach uh, that you want to thank? And let me just add this. Uh, my very first broadcast with Wayne Bryan, one of the things I mentioned at the beginning is uh, one of the things I try to impart in my players is an attitude of thankfulness because uh, a lot of times leaders, like you both just mentioned, you know, Coach Gould and Coach Hubble, um, and a lot of times, you know, I remember one time when I uh, had a player for many years, uh, won't mention his name, and uh, but after many, many years, uh, he came back and, and, he, and he wrote this really touching note, just how uh, thankful he was and how much I impacted his life. 
and had that situation not arose, I would have never known that. And it's amazing the bond that you uh, that coaches um, have with players and the influence they have. But here's my point: is you know I'm hoping they're listening. When they do listen to the podcast, uh, that they'll they'll appreciate your comments. And uh, leaders need to, need to be thanked. Our wives need to be thanked. Uh, special people in our lives um you know i have a to have a attitude of thankfulness goes a long long way so i try and encourage my players to be very thankful outwardly to be able to speak that so if there's anything else you wanted to say in terms of other coaches or any comments in general that maybe we can kind of wrap up the show uh yeah, one of the con- concepts well, from the leadership standpoint that has really resonated with me and there are lots of coaches who, who do the same thing so i wouldn't attribute it to anyone at this point but this concept of servant leadership and you know, from my perspective as coaches, we're here to serve serve these young men, and in my case, young men, a lot of women's coaches out there as well, young women. Um, we're here to, to serve them and give them the best experience they can. We're here to support them in any way we can to help them be successful. You know, one of the things that the only thing we ask for from our guys is accountability because well, we'll do everything we can to support them uh, in their in their development, in their off-court, in their on-court at the end of the day, we're not going to hit a ball in competition for them, and they really got out in the process, and that's all we ask for them, and they give us that, and, and they get us for life. Brandon, any final comments? Yeah, I could. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's, um, you, you know, it's one of those those, those things that you just want to instill in your players that uh, that leadership where, you know, you act as a gentleman and you you fight your butt off, and and you can. Uh, you know, you look at yourself in, in the mirror at the end of the match, and you said, you know, I did everything I could, and and uh, and win or loss, like chips fall where they may. But I, you know, I, I fought my butt off, and I and I competed hard, and that's what it, that's what sports all about. Well, I appreciate you guys being with me. Um, really enjoyable, great. Uh, you know, Brandon, I've known you for many years, and Coach uh, Paul, it's Thanks been so much, great to Steve. get to know you. Yeah, and uh, I lead. I'm going to leave uh, this, this last thought here. I talk uh, talk to people about is your normal inspiring. A lot of times I ask players, hey, when you watch somebody practice, you watch Coach Goldstein on the on the uh, if he's on the tour practicing. People watch and they get inspired. They sit around practice courts. Is your normal inspiring? You know, do people want to? Do they get excited watching you do what you do on the court or wherever else? And the last thing I'd like to leave out there is if you always give your best, you'll sometimes play your best and one time be the best. So with that on mind, uh, just like I say, let her rip, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much, Steve. You're welcome. I'll talk to you guys soon.